0: My name is uh, Eric, and I'm going to be reading our scripture this morning, and if you'd like to turn with me to your Bibles, you're going to be looking at Luke chapter 4, verses 4 through 13. Again, that's Luke chapter 4, verses 4 through 13. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time.
1: I left my Lord's cup. Here we go. This is for later. All right. Hey, well, good morning, church family. Uh, I am somewhat looking forward to to next Sunday, especially uh, since for those of you that are going to feel comfortable, uh, uh, our mask mandate is dropping uh, this week on March the 1st in the city. And for those that are going to be happy to do that, I am looking forward to teaching your entire face and not just the part I can see. Um, because I know that this has been a incredibly long season. I can't remember the last time that we had a gathering that we were, um, not required to be wearing a mask indoors. Uh, and with that, I want to go ahead and just tell you what's happening now for the rest of the gathering. I'm getting ready to talk to you uh, about Luke chapter 4. Then we're going to take a minute at the end of that, and we're going to spend some time as a church family praying for our city and for what's going on in Ukraine. And then after that's over, I'm going to give us a few announcements that I think are really pertinent for this week. And then we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. Then we're going to do our benediction and then head into our Sunday. Okay, so that's kind of where we're headed. So let me just take a minute and to pray, and then we're going to jump into this Luke 4 together. Lord Jesus, there's so many things that are competing for our minds right now, and we want to be able to settle on what is true, what's noble, what's just, the things that are pure. We want to be thinking and dwelling on those things. But Lord, right now we are facing many things that are overwhelming. Some are very personal and some are global. And so, God, right now, I pray that as we try to take a few minutes to focus on this interaction uh, in the desert with Jesus and the evil one, I pray, Father, that you would use it in a mighty way to encourage your church. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, there's a little bit of subtlety in everything we've done this morning. Uh, even in the prayer that we did of generosity, there's so much about the communal act of obedience and following Jesus. And so many times we say things like, for those that are following Jesus. And when you have a group of people that are following Jesus, what is the biblical name for that? The church. Um, so when you have a group of people that are trying to follow the way of Jesus, it's the church. When you have brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, that's the church. But the problem is, is that we can't put the word church into our songs or into our prayers of generosity because the church has got a really bad reputation for not really following after Jesus. Actually, a few of us were talking this week, and one of the things that came out in the discussion is, is that there are a lot of people doing the same amount of good in our community as the church does. And they're doing it without acknowledging Jesus. And when we say, hey, you should follow Jesus, you know, uh, they're like, well, my life already matches yours. Why would I need to follow Jesus? You know. And so there's so much that we're addressing. And so we're in this series called Devoted. And that word is supposed to require a little bit of effort and some strengthening and some thoughts and all that because you can't be devoted for something and be on the sofa unless you're devoted to Netflix, right? It's not really a natural um, or, or the response that we're trying to give to our faith can't be just simple. It should take some effort and putting in the right effort is going to produce some things. I showed this a couple of weeks ago when we were starting this series. My baseball coach in high school drove drills upon drills upon drills upon drills into our life because his mantra was perfect practice makes perfect. And so you can't just do something repeatedly and expect perfection. You've got to do it the right way in order for it to go the right way. And so Jesus sets the way for us. And so today I want us to start out with us just saying this together. It's not just knowing its practice. Now, that's semi rhetorical, but it actually might do us some good to actually think about letting these words roll off our tongue. Because a lot of us have a lot of knowledge about the Bible. We even have a lot of knowledge about things theological. We can sit down and we can talk about the intricacies of the cross and really the way that Jesus fulfilled Old Testament prophecy and the way that he speaks towards a hope and a future. And some of us can use really big words and get really articulate in the ways that we describe faith. But in many ways, I'm like, when we stand in front of a mirror... And people aren 't just hearing our big words, but they 're seeing our life. What is actually playing out in our practice? What is really impacting us? And Paul, in second Corinthians chapter two, verse 11, says something very powerful that 's tying in to where we were last week and where we 're headed all week long this week and where we 're going to end next Sunday. Listen to what he says in verse 11, "So that Satan will not outsmart us that 's pretty direct. And there's a lot that goes into a statement like that. But Paul's posture was, is that the evil one, the Satan, the accuser, as we described him last week, like that's what the name actually means, is out there trying to trip us up. Actually, we use three other words rather than trip us up. It's actually still kill and destroy. And so he has a system i talking about the evil one has a system and he's trying to accomplish that work in our life. And then Paul goes on to say after that, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. Now, this is where I think the gap between Paul in the Corinthian church and Ellis Prince in the gallery church fall. And this is why last Sunday through March the 6th and everything for prayer week is on our calendar is I don't know if we in this room can confidently say we know the evil one's schemes. Because there's been a gap in Christian church, many denominations that have avoided passages like John 8, that have talked about Luke 4, but yet we avoid the fact that the evil one is constantly looking for ways to kill, steal, and destroy. And the early church kept it in the forefront of their thinking, and they were constantly looking for the signs that the evil one was trying to steal, kill, and destroy, And so for us today, I just want to make it very clear. So I made a slide or Josie made a slide that says this. The point of this series has been an attempt to expose the devil's schemes, his not so secret plans to drive us to ruin via, listen, isolation and lies. And to offer an alternative for the way of Jesus Christ. And that way of Jesus is spirit and truth. The, the path of the evil one is isolation and lies. The path of Jesus is spirit and truth. And so the evil one is trying to get us onto a path of isolation and lies. And Jesus is trying to say, no, it's spirit and truth. But yet, if we know what Jesus had to say, he says, my path is obviously very narrow. So it's going to take a lot of effort. Maybe I can use the word devoted effort. In order for us to consciously make sure that our feet are on the path that Jesus had planned out for us. And so the word for today is practice. And the practice that I want to talk about with us today and what we're going to be spending all week on is this idea of practicing what it looks like for us to identify the evil schemes the isolation and the lies, and then begin to speak truth to it, not just in my own thinking, but with one another so that we can follow the way of Jesus. And so what I mean by practice is this. And if you are taking notes, I also want to let you know that whether you have an Android or an iPhone, I think we have our app fixed. If it's not still working, just run the update. The bug fixes are in there. But in the notes section of our app today, all of these things are written out for you. And I'd love for you to come back to them and revisit them. And even for those of you online, don't just get comfortable sitting and listening and whatever you're doing right now. I want you to let these definitions rest on us. Because practice means the disciplines by which we mitigate the isolation and the lies of the devil in our secular society with spirit and truth of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And the kingdom is another way of saying what? The church. The church. We have got to redeem the name church. It means something. It's special. It's a fam- it's a family name. Like if we were wearing a jersey... And we had all of us had our favorite numbers on it. What would be the name on the back of the church? The shirt church. That's the last name of us. It would be church. It wouldn't be my name and it wouldn't be the first name. It wouldn't be gallery. It wouldn't be foundry. It wouldn't be St. Mo's. It would be church. That would be the name that would be on the back. And so let me unpack this for you a little bit. Disciplines. Discipline. Many times are Easy. You go to the grocery store, you have your list, you stay focused on your list, and you don't wander down aisles that your items that are on your list are not on. I am notorious for going to the grocery store and wandering aimlessly. And Ginger then sees the bags in the kitchen and says, you got things that aren't on the list. And when is the worst time to go to the grocery store? A Sunday afternoons at 4 p.m. No, I'm just kidding. Um, is when you're hungry. Because that's when the king size Snickers two for four stands out to you. Anybody else a victim of those kinds of advertisements? Don't tell me. Don't leave me by myself. Ginger checks the receipt, FYI. She knows what I had in the car before I got home. She's like, so the Hershey bars were on sale, right? And so there were five for $5. Where are the other four? And I'm like, you're assuming only ate one right? So here's discipline. I think we understand what discipline really means. It's going to take effort. It means you're intentionally setting out your time. It means you're intentionally making a list. It means that I'm intentionally putting into practice the things that I need to put into practice. That's discipline. Now to mitigate, uh, we have several attorneys in the room. You know what it means to mitigate a situation. I mean, if we are going to fight the lies of the enemy that are forcing us to isolation and forcing us into lies, we have got to develop some mitigating skills where we can see the evidence, we can hear the the testimonies, and we have the opportunity to begin to say, wait a minute, this is true, this is a lie. Why am I holding tight to this? Why is this perspective winning out? Because the isolation and the lies of the devil... Are what he wants for us. Do you, want to, do you understand this? Most people that go to church think that the devil wants you to do what? It's a three letter word. Starts with an S and ends with an N. Sin. Most people that go to church think that the devil wants you to sin. Can I tell you that that is not what the Bible says? The Bible wants you to develop a life of isolation. Excuse me, it's the Satan. Please edit. The Bible does not want that. The Bible reveals to us that the evil one's idea is if he wants you, whether you are a good person or not, to be isolated. The evil one wants you to believe a lie because that will isolate you from people that love you. The evil one wants you to believe lies because that's what makes you angry. That's what makes you jealous. That's what makes you covet somebody else's possessions. Lies get in and that's what causes us to be self-centered, rather than self-sacrificing. So many ways in which the evil one steps in, his desire isn't to get us to sin, it's to force us into isolation and into lies. And the secular society around us is wanting us to stay away from the Holy Spirit and then to say that I don't need to seek truth with a capital T, I want to define my own truth. It's almost like a do-it-yourself faith nowadays where you can pick and choose anything and everything you want, from any other religion in the world, but just don't fully follow Jesus. That, to me, is the isolation the lies that the evil one wants us to be on course for. And so we must, we must do everything that we can in our practice to be the church. And so let me start comparing ourselves to practice. So who's the best person to compare our practices to? Jesus Christ. Thank you guys for starting to talk back to me. I can't wait to hear you unmuffled next Sunday. What was Jesus's practice? It's a great question. So as we look into Luke chapter four this morning, I want to, to start out by saying this run in with the evil one was the, it was recorded in Luke and in Matthew's gospel. And right from the very opening lines, we begin to see where this is headed. Let me read this for us. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Let me just stop here just for a minute. This is so key. Jesus wasn't empty. Jesus was full of the spirit. That means everything that he'd been doing up to this moment had prepared him to have this encounter. He didn't go in unprepared. There's a, an American phrase, an idiom or colloquialism. I don't know what other phrase you want to call it, but it is a phrase with being caught with your pants down. Like Jesus wasn't unprepared. He was fully belted up. He had everything he needed. The Holy Spirit was fully in him. And this means he had his fullest capacities to discern what was happening around him in this very moment. And it goes on to say, um, he returned from the Jordan River, which again, in a Jewish writing, anytime a place, a river or a name is mentioned, it's highly strategic. They're not just telling a story. They are using pictures and metaphors to make the story have even deeper meaning. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. He was led by the spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Come on. Is that not a little bit exhausting? 40 days. Some of you are like, I can top that. Some of you have felt like you've been in a series of that for a very long period of time. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry, obviously. 40 days is a very long time to limit your food intake. So let me give you what I believe is some of the larger story here. Jesus, when you look at the rest of the New Testament, is referred to in many, in many occasions as the second Adam. Adam which is the second human, right? This one true human, the human who comes to do what Adam was supposed to do and failed to do, which was Adam was supposed to face down the devil and not give in to isolation and lies. But yet he didn't do that. Adam Actually was supposed to set an example for the rest of all humanity to walk without sin in this world. But Jesus had to do this. So like Adam, Jesus is tempted in this passage of scripture. Unlike Adam, he is victorious over that temptation. Instead of being in a garden, though, Jesus is now in a desert. This appears, I believe, because I think it's a better picture of the human condition. And I think this is why Luke is writing this passage the way that he was, and why Jesus was intentionally in the wilderness, because the human condition is no longer in this plush garden where it seems like everything is flowing sweet and nice and everything is beautiful and in order. We live in what feels like dry and desert places. That's very much, I feel like, an example that we can relate to. And instead of eating like Adam and Eve were in this beautiful garden and able to pick fruit from the trees where they were physically full, Jesus is then abstaining from food and he's in a place where there is no food. Very interesting comparison here. But they were feasting on food and Jesus was feasting on the spirit of God. Which I think is very important for us as a church to figure out because that's the point of this prayer week. What does it mean for you and I to feast on the Holy Spirit? How do we allow the Holy Spirit to just overflow us and to fill us where we're not just trying to come to church for an hour and a half or two on Sundays and then survive everything that comes our way throughout the week? What does it look like for me to have the practices of eating on the Holy Spirit Throughout the whole week, And if you're new to faith, it sounds really strange to think that you're eating on the Holy Spirit. But I just want to say that is not a physical activity. That's a metaphor for the fact that in some ways we've got to let the, the voice of the Holy Spirit fill us with knowledge and with truth because the enemy is wanting to fill us with lies. But I, I want you to notice that the devil starts on Jesus the same way he did on Eve. Let me go back to the verse I said at the beginning. The evil one, according to Paul, to the church in Corinth has ever changing schemes. No. no, confidently say that church. No, no. If you're online, I want to hear you. No, the enemy does not have ever changing schemes. His schemes are known. They're obvious. They're not. We don't have to wonder what, what angle is the evil one going to take in my life? We can know it and begin to anticipate it. And he did the same thing to Jesus that he, was, had he, had, he had done to Eve. He attempts to plant doubts. He attempts to plant doubts, specific doubts, specific doubts about Eve's identity, specific doubts about Jesus's identity. He was asking him, he's like, if you really are the son of God, I don't know if we caught that, but if we read the verses just before that, a voice from heaven at Jesus's baptism had just said out loud over Jesus, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And now the evil one comes to him and he says to them, are you really the son of God? Immediately attacking his identity, immediately attacking the voice of God speaking over his life. It is an obvious scheme of the evil one to attack our identity. He wants you to doubt who you are in Jesus Christ. He wants you to doubt that God loves you. He wants you to doubt that Jesus would want to save you. He wants you to doubt that your past isn't what your future is going to be. He, or He's saying, I want you to understand it doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, what you're currently in the midst of. Jesus loves me, which is a we. He loves us, but the evil one doesn't want us to believe that. Satan like the snake in the garden had a phrase, did God really say, did God really say, and I think he's still tripping us up on this here today. And I know it's really hard for us to kind of grasp all this because it's all so verbal. And sometimes we need some kinesthetic activity, but I do believe that one of the schemes of the evil one right now that is destroying the church is that same question. Did God really say, did God really say you should do this with your money? Did God really say you should do this with your body? Did God really say that you should avoid certain things? Did God really say to evaluate the friendships in your life? Did God really say, like, can you find it in the Bible? Like, I really do believe that the evil one is in our ear all the time, asking us questions about the trustworthiness of the things that God said or the trustworthiness of us knowing what God said. And it's constantly coming after us. And then we wonder why we're confused, why we hesitate, because the truth is, is we don't know. We don't know what God has said or we've heard it and we've ignored it. Or like like what I've tried to do with my own children at times is I've tried to be a voice of Love and truth to them. And my daughter rolls her eyes at me all the time, whether on FaceTime or in person, because I say to her, you're beautiful. I say to her, God has made you special. And her response to me is, you're my dad. You're supposed to say those things. Right. And so for many of us, we treat our father in heaven the same way. There are nine or 10 other people that we would rather hear affirm us other than the father in heaven. And because the father in heaven is saying it over and over again, we're like, yes, God, yes, God, yes, God, you're supposed to love me. And the evil one is the one putting that type of temptation into our mind, thinking that we need the love of somebody else more than we need the love of God. And then we pitch that against it against it. Like, well, God loves me. Why can't you love me? And then it starts this spiral of isolation and lies, and then the the snowballing effect of anger, rage, the malice, then the, the, the ways that we speak of one another, and then we wonder why inside the church there's just as much anger and disconnection as it is in some of our other community organizations. Because the evil one's schemes are the same. Did God really say? The devil's threefold temptations of Jesus is subtle, they're clever. Very clever. Did you see how the evil one in this passage is even quoting scriptures at Jesus? And then he goes on to try to manipulate him. But I want you to understand, and I said this a couple weeks ago to some of us. The evil one was not trying to get Jesus to sin in the desert. I'm a firm believer of that. Now, I might be wrong. All right, I am a pastor, and I am the one with the microphone right now. But I honestly believe in this passage of scripture, the temptation isn't for Jesus to sin. The temptation in this passage is for Jesus to do the right thing the wrong way. Because the temptation of the evil one is, well, don't you want to have the kingdoms of this world? I can give them to you right now. Because what had Jesus come to do? He came to set his throne up to be the king of this world. And the evil one was giving him a shortcut. Jesus didn't correct the devil here and say, you have no authority over the kingdoms of the world because he did. Jesus refers to him at least four or five times throughout the gospel of John as the prince of this world. And so there was authority up until the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus when everything changed. But at this point in time in the gospel narrative, the evil one was the one in charge And he was saying, you know, why don't you just bypass that whole cross and resurrection thing? And let's just let you step into control. I'll be happy to let you step into control because the enemy didn't want him to actually conquer sin and death for us. He was appealing to Jesus's desire to just go ahead and step. And if we don't understand that, we can look in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what does it say in the gospel at the end of the book of John, and the end of the book of Matthew? What was Jesus doing in the garden? He was praying But what was the shape of his prayer? So much so that sweat was dropping from his head that was like great drops of blood, because that means he was so in distress because he knew that everything was coming to a climax in his life. And Jesus said, Father, if there's a another way. But if there isn't, I submit So for an evening, he he wrestled and he asked God, is there another way? And it's the same temptation that the evil one had offered him in the wilderness. Hey, I can offer you another way is what Satan's saying. And Jesus was saying, no, I'm not going to cheat my way to the top. I'm going to go through it. Three times the devil tempts Jesus. Each time Jesus calmly responds with a quote from scripture. But I love What happens in verse 13? Because church, this is what we need to understand. Listen to what happens when the devil had finished tempting Jesus. He left him period. He goes on to say, writer of Luke, Luke himself. He left him until the next opportunity came. Can I just tell us as a church, the scheme of the evil one is to keep coming back at you. The scheme of the evil one is to look for an opportune time. If we had the opportunity right now to write out all the ways in which the enemy would look for an opportune time, we could probably fill up an entire piece of paper. But let me tell you what I believe is an opportune time. When we're proud, where we're really proud of ourselves, watch out. When you are exhausted, watch out. When you are in a situation where you feel like everything around you is out of control, watch out. When you find yourself not going to church for a month, watch out. When you find yourself just denying being around people that believe in Jesus the way that you do, we need to watch out. Because the enemy is going to look for the opportune time. And here, even now, men, I'm just going to talk to you for a minute. I don't know about women and temptations, but I'll just speak to you guys, men. You just need to watch out. What happens on your phone after 11 p.m. might not be good for you. Watch out. Opportune time. 1 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock in the morning, watch out. Opportune time. Now, unless you're working, some of you work nights and are asleep during the day, just flip that, all right? But you understand what I'm saying. The enemy's looking for an opportunity. He's not going to come after you when it's easy. He's mean. He's a snake. He's going to look for an opportunity when you're easy and susceptible not to sin, but to isolation and a lie. And like 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 sheep. A wolf isn't going to attack the herd. The wolf looks for the weakest one and waits for it to be in isolation, and then that's when they come running. Because they don't want the stronger ones to protect the weaker ones. And then let me just say to us, that's why the church is so important. We have to watch out for one another. And we all have to become a part of that response. And so let me give you some observations from Jesus. Because remember, this is about us practicing what Jesus practiced. And so this is what I picked out of Luke four for us today. Number one, he's in prayer. Some of us, we don't feel comfortable praying. We have got to develop our prayer strength. We need to figure out what that looks like. I'm going to offer some solutions for that today. He's fasting. I do believe, church, that we need to figure out what it looks like to truly understand fasting as a part of our offense. To battle the obvious schemes of the evil one. And then the third, very basic. We do this with children in, in children's church all the time. We give them a memory verse for the week, right? And they go memorize that memory verse and then they get a a, a sticker on a page or they get candy or they get some sort of treat because we we want children to hide God's word in their heart. Right. But when was the last time we as an adult hid God's word in our heart? When was the last time we wanted to know it without having to turn on an app or to open the pages of our Bible? But our mind is to be full of scripture That was how Jesus taught his followers to fight the evil one. That's how Jesus fought the evil one. I love what John Mark Comer says here. Um, He says, you could say it this way. Spiritual disciplines are spiritual warfare. Three Christmases ago, um, my family gave me this wonderful little band. And I've worn it literally every day since. It's actually a piece of steel. It's not... Plastic or soft, I mean it actually it 's my right arm stronger than my left arm um, it 's a heavy piece, but every night I take it off and I set it by my bedside and then every morning when I wake up, I pick it up and I carry it down to my French press because the best way for me to put on the armor i 've got in the morning is caffeinated. Um, I might forget a piece of it if i don 't so I carry this and my French press. And I have a chair that I usually sit in the morning and I have my time where I just let my brain be the first activity of my day to be a thing that we read. And I'll I'll share it with you in just a moment. But then I put this on as an act of saying, I want to be armored up for the day. It's my reminder that God gives me armor to fight the schemes in the world around me, the evil one around me. But I have to choose to put it on. You, as a believer, don't just wake up with your armor on. You don't find a passage in the scripture. You can't sleep comfortably at night armored up. You've got to relax and rest in Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. But when you wake up in the morning, there's a closet you need to go through. And if you are into Marvel, just imagine um, Tony Stark walking through the garage and the armor's just shooting onto him and he just flies out the door. He doesn't leave without it. And the whole movie progresses about him getting better and better on how to disguise it. So he's always available to him. That's what we need to do with our faith. It's like, how do I make sure that I'm putting on the armor that God has for me? We must learn to practice it. So there's two things that Jesus lays as a foundation. The first is quiet prayer. I would love for that to just be the step we take through prayer and fasting this week. And the second is scripture. I love what Henry Nouwen says. Solitude is not a private therapeutic place. Rather, solitude is the furnace of transformation. Without solitude, we remain victims of our society and continue to be entangled in the illusions of a false self. Romans 8, 6. So let your sinful nature, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the spirit control your minds leads to life and peace. So there's so much that we need to learn about us stepping in and developing rhythms of quiet prayer and learning how to use scripture to allow our minds to be transformed. Because as we've been talking about now for five Sundays, we can believe lies. There's not a person in this room, myself included, that's not susceptible to believing a lie. And the only way that we can work that out is through prayer, through Scripture, and through the kingdom of God that is known as the church. So many other things I wish we had time to say this morning, but I don't. But through practice, spiritual discipline, which is practice, we fill our minds with the thoughts of God so regularly and deeply that it literally rewires our brain. And from there, our whole person That's what Paul was talking about in Romans 12. But many of us feel so confident that nothing in my brain needs to be reworked. Be careful. The enemy knows when the best opportunity to come back. And a lot of time he comes back when we think too highly of ourselves. It is our responsibility to curate our thought life. Somehow you have got to develop a discipline of taking measure of what you're thinking about and then somehow compare that to the truth that has been found in Jesus Christ that he can lead us to through the scripture. So I mentioned armoring up. What does it look like every day to armor up? First thing you have to have a French press. I'm just kidding. Um, is that you, here's the thing I I would love for you. Whenever your day starts, can you start it without turning on a TV, a phone or a computer? And let the first thing that you step into is quiet prayer and scripture. I don't care if it's 60 seconds. I don't care if it's two minutes or it's 10 minutes. Just when you wake up, the first thing that we should do in the day should be prayer. And it should be some reminder of truth. And it doesn't have to be long. Because again, it's not that our brains don't think. Our brains are always thinking thoughts. The issue is, is we want our brain thinking the right thoughts and why not set your brain in the right motion as soon as you wake up? So there's we have a daily window practice in our church. We haven't been talking about it enough, but we're going to start talking about it some more as we go in through this week. But the daily window was modeled after Daniel, where he got up and he prayed in the morning, he prayed at noon and he prayed at night and he faced his window and he cried out to God for not just himself, but for the people of God to to truly love and follow after God and, and to see their city lit up like a like a light for all the other nations again. That was Daniel's heart. So there's two apps that I want to recommend to you if you want to start a simple but not time-consuming daily practice. And my wife and I use these apps. And the first app that's on the screen for you is called Lectico 365. This is put out by the 24-7 Prayer Ministry. The website's there. You can go to www.247prayer.com. You can download it for Apple or Android products. It is so easy and it is so helpful and It is what I believe a way that we can start to renew our minds. The second one that I want to suggest to you. Now, this one actually costs money. It's called the dwell app is also for iPhones and Androids. Um, You this will if you are in a commuter life or you are trying to put your children to bed Um, all these things, this is something that has voice, like it reads things to you. You can even pick the accent you want the angel to sound like reading scriptures over you. Um, and it is a little bit more robust than Lectico 365, but I would highly recommend both or just one or the other, but something has got to get us started. And then something has got to get us started so much that we don't want to lose it throughout the day. Because what I have found about in my own life is that I could start the day well, but my next four hours could set me on a totally different course. And by the time I get home for dinner at night, my wife might look at me like, uh, what happened to my husband? That's not the man that left my house today. Why don't you want you to go step outside, have a little attitude change and you come back in. Right. Because the pressures of this world can really cause the thoughts to change into actions before long. We're not looking like Jesus. We're looking a lot more like maybe an evil in the world. And it all starts with the thoughts in our head. Let me read this over us. Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6 starting in verse 10. It's not going to be on the screen. I just want to read this over us. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you may be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the evil, excuse me, resist the enemy in the time of evil, opportune time. And I love how he insisted every piece, don't pick and choose, put it all on. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm, stand your ground, put on the belt of truth and the, and the, the body armor of God's righteousness for for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold the shield of faith to stop the fiery errors of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And the last armor piece usually left out of the armor story is prayer. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. So he's not saying just pray at church, You're not praying just in your small group. He's not saying just pray over your meals. He says, Pray all times on every occasion, stay alert, be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere, and pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so that I can boldly explain God's mysteries plain that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. And to that, I ask you, please pray for me that I can continue to speak boldly as I should, because I want us to dwell on truth and not lies. I don't want us to fall into isolation, but to allow ourselves to truly understand the community that the church provides. Let's pray. Father, I pray tonight, today, this morning, that we, that we see the schemes of the evil one, And that as we learn about him throughout the week and into next Sunday, that we can confidently be ready. Father, we want to be a sweet aroma of Christ in our city right now. We want to be disciplined. We want to have practice that helps us look more and more like Jesus Christ. Let that be true in us. Amen. Guys, right now I want us to take a minute and pray together for our city and for Ukraine. Um, I actually had Josie put a prayer on the slide for us to look at as a way of it being just an example. I know that um, some of us actually might enjoy or actually benefit from something like this where. It helps us figure out how do I even pray when the only thing I can do is just stare and just shock and wonder. Um, But I really want us right now, when we look at the mass warfare that's happening in Ukraine and we look at the isolated spots of warfare that's happening in our own city right now, we just need to cry out to God. Please bring your peace. So I would love for us right now to just say this prayer out loud. And then I want the room just to be quiet. And I would love for you to just take a minute to pray as you feel led. Um, And some of you can choose to do that out loud. And others of you just want to do that quietly. But let's take some time. And for those of you that are watching at home, I want you to do this as well. Let's pray this out loud together. Lord Jesus, we pray for the people of Ukraine and Russia during this difficult and fearful time. While the events may be physically distant from our circumstances, may our hearts be in solidarity. Protect the women, elderly, young, children, innocent and vulnerable. Give wisdom and strength to global leaders. Humble the proud and power hungry. Lord, we long and pray for peace in Ukraine, our city, and so many other places that are experiencing violence conflict, and war. Amen. Let's just be still and pray together. Lord Jesus, we ask that you bring peace. Father, we're praying from a country that has participated in war. Where we have fired missiles and guns, so we're not coming from a place, Father, or a posture of right versus wrong. We are coming as a place of saying, forgive us. We need your healing. We need your forgiveness. We need Your peace that passes all understanding. Father, for those right now that have the authority to stop this, we pray in the name of Jesus that they would do the right thing. Father, we also pray if there's any way you can divinely protect turning bullets into blanks or missiles into duds or whatever could be what could happen on a divine Lord, would you intervene? Father, too many people have lost their lives. And Lord, we just speak against this aggression. Lord, we speak against this violence even in our own city. Father, too many children, too many women, girls, young men, old men. Father, even old women in church, Lord, have lost their lives recently in our city. And for what? What? Father, would you please bring your peace? Would you please use us as your church in this generation to be the manifestation of Christ and his will and his ways? Lord, may we stand in truth with Jesus through this time. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Guys, we're going to take time now to take the Lord's Supper together. The Lord's Table, Communion, as we might call it. Um, and any of you that, uh, are following after Christ and you want to participate in this with us, whether it's your first time or you've been with us for years, we want you to feel comfortable doing this with us. If that's possible, um, I would ask that you go ahead and remove the wafer at the bottom. This is a symbol of Christ's body. It's a symbol, I believe also of his church. Um, Christ was an example to us of how we should live and living lives of sacrifice, living li- lives of preparedness, quiet prayer, discipline, thinking about scripture. These are things Jesus did so that he could fulfill his purpose. And I know that we, too, can be part of the fulfilling of his purpose. And so would you guys stand and let's just turn to one another We say this out loud together. It's on the screen for you. Would you just hold this up? If you can physically crack it in your hand and not make too many pieces for the carpet, just crack that and just look at one another saying this is his body broken for you. And let's do this in remembrance of him. And if you are watching at home, even if it's later this week, I would encourage you to take time to do this. This is an important reminder for us. And then if you could expose the, the the cup, when Jesus passed this around, he told his disciples that his blood was going to be shed for the forgiveness of sins. And this is the truth. It's like our sins have been forgiven in Jesus Christ. And we need to be reminded of that because we have an evil one that's going to lie to us and make us feel like our lives have not been forgiven or that forgiveness can't come our way. And this is a statement right back at those lies saying... Jesus's blood was poured out for the forgiveness of sin. And let's fight those lies with the truth right now. Let's hold this up to one another. Let's say this out loud together. This is his blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Let's do this in remembrance of him. And then together, we generally proclaim the mystery of our faith when things, were, when everything changed. This is the bedrock and the foundation of our good news. So let's say this out loud together. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. You guys can go ahead and grab a seat just for a moment. I just want to give you a couple of announcements before we do our closing benediction. I'm going to start with the work day, Josie. Um, some of you... Uh, might have some time where you can help us on march the 9th we are in the process of bringing back our gallery kids program in 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 stages what was that Oh, yeah, I did. Thank you. Whatever the screen says, just ignore what I'm saying, other than the fact that we're having a work day, um, It's going to be on March the 19th for two hours in this space. Um, so we're going to be doing some preparation to prepare some rooms for our children and to sort out some of the things that are overtaking the corners of our church um, so that we can be prepared for a new season of new life here in this space, um, as well as there are some resources that we want to use that are buried in our storage areas, and we're just not being good stewards with what we do have. And so we want to spend a day making that better. And as many of you that could be here would help, that would be fantastic. Mark your calendars. I'm just so excited that so many of you already put it on your calendar. It was just so fun watching you guys do that. That was great. Um, so the second announcement is prayer week. Um, this week, starting tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. in this room, 7 p.m. in this room, noon is going to be wherever you are. Um, and so 7 to 8 a.m., this room will be open, so you can come anytime between 7 and 8. Just know that we're going to start shutting things down uh, at 8 o'clock. I encourage you to come where you can spend at least 15 minutes with us in person, but at, um, anytime between 7 and 8 a.m., this room will be open Monday through Saturday, um, and then the same thing for in the evening, Monday through Saturday, 7 p.m., this room will be open each night, there will be a little bit of teaching on the subject matter for that day. And then we're going to identify some lies. And then we're going to come to some scriptures and we're going to practice talking back to those lies together each night. And so in the app, it is now working for all platforms. At least it should be. Um, when your app opens up, if you scroll, you'll find where there's a, a section that says Notes. If you, oops, I hit the calendar. If you hit notes, you'll find that every day there's, a, there's going to be a prayer week Monday. There'll eventually be a prayer week Tuesday. And inside of that is the notes for that day. is broken down into three sections, morning, noon, and evening. This will also be on the Facebook page for the Gallery Church downtown. So if you don't use the app, which I encourage you to, if you're not and you have access to a computer, it will all be on Facebook as well. There is also, if you were to look at your um, uh, app, in the bottom right corner is a little tab called More. At the very top is actually a prayer and fasting guide that you can use to help you be prepared for the week. Um, I am sorry it came out a little late to you, um, but I am grateful that it is actually here. This is also on our Facebook page, so that for those of you that don't have the app, you can also get that. But everything that we're going to be doing will be on those two platforms from the app and Facebook, so that we can walk through this prayer week time together. I encourage those of you that are able, there will be some of the staff and the elders of our church that will be going without food some of the days of the week. Um, I, if you would be willing to join us, uh, we would love for you to do that. Others of you, we're, we've proposed an adjusted diet. It says most of us can't go without food for seven or eight straight days. Um, There are some things that we have suggested as ways that model after the way Daniel denied himself some of the things, but he allowed himself to have other things. It's in the prayer guide. But if some of you could join us for at least 24 hours up to 72 hours, some of us are going to do three days this week um, um, just with water. And if if you can possibly do that, um, we are wanting to do two things. We're wanting to learn to talk back to lies. And talk back to the temptation to fall into isolation. That's our goal. That's the only goal for this week. And so I hope that you guys can participate in that as much as possible with us this week. And next Sunday, I'm going to wrap it all up uh, in a teaching that's all, that's all about the tactics of the evil one. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna make sure we're clear that they're known and how we're gonna address them. And we're looking forward to finishing this time with you. So with that, let me give our Benediction. If you have any questions, you can see me afterwards. Um, If you need more prayer, you can see Lana or myself or your growth community leader. They'd be happy to pray with you. If you'd stand, let me do our benediction. Thank you guys for sticking it out with us this morning. If you would just extend a hand to one another as a way of us just saying that we're family. Um, But as we go from here today, may we become aware of the schemes of the evil one. May we realize that he does not want to necessarily cause us to sin. He just wants us to believe lies and to isolate ourselves. May we learn to practice the ways of Jesus, focusing on quiet prayer and understanding the scriptures so that we can apply them in our moments of temptation. May God's grace and peace be with you. Thank you guys so much. Look forward to having you guys with us this week.